KPCA-LP, Petaluma, California. Good morning and welcome to Inside Petaluma. I'm Cindy Thomas, co-host with Jason Davies and Janice Cater-Thompson. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday. Yes, indeed it is. It is for the listeners, but for us, it is Thursday All right. as we are pre-recording via Zoom video conference. So but there's we, the disclosure. But we know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. So We do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yes. We, we will have gotten through. March 4th, which is supposedly Inauguration Day. Uh-huh. Oh, for the lunatics. Yeah. Right. <laughs> there are lunatics. It's great. Cunatics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, yes. it's interesting. I was reading a QAnon, um, uh, just a page, and it's interesting how they lure people in. They kind of just ask the question, what do you think about this? And then at the very bottom of this page... They want to make sure that every nobody um, leaves with it's both sides. And it always drives me crazy when people say it's both sides. And it was just a good confirmation reading. Mm-hmm. that um, It definitely came from somewhere and it wasn't from the Democrats. <laughs> well, clearly the Republican Party seems to be um, acknowledging the fact that they don't do well when more people can vote. So now their whole effort seems to be at trying to prevent um, people from voting. And um, and I don't know, maybe that's what Governor Abbott is doing by opening up early. He figures, you know, the people that are most vulnerable to COVID will not then be able to vote because they'll be dead. You know, that's one form of voter suppression. I go to back to Sarah Palin in the death panels, yeah. uh, 500,000 plus on the Republican yeah. side. I mean, on the good front, I mean, this news from Biden uh, with this deal that was struck between Johnson and Johnson and Merck. I mean, that's absolutely great. I mean, we're talking about by May being able to have enough vaccines for everybody in the country. Yeah. The question great. is, will enough people actually do it? Um, because there's still a lot of uh, crazy uh, anti-vaccine stuff going out there, you know. You're talking about my family again, Jason. Uh, <laughs> wow, I feel I feel for people that have to deal with this stuff in their own family. I'm very fortunate in that regard. Yeah, I know. Um, well, that's where I get all my information. You know, is from my family's Facebook page. <laughs> oh man, God, that must be so painful. <laughs> yeah. Do you know how close I always come to hitting that unfriend button? <laughs> yeah. But, but I know, saw. I got to keep my mother happy. So there was an interesting little uh, article. I hadn't seen this on TV, but uh, Teresa Barrett. Uh, our mayor was uh, on the news, CNBC. And the reason is, is that Petaluma is now on record, I, I believe, as the very first city to say no more gas stations. We have a ban on building more gas stations. That is great news. And hopefully is a model for other cities because we need to trend away from this. If we're going to tackle climate change, we need to get on board with no more gas stations. So I thought that was pretty cool. I think we should do an entire show on that subject. Well, on climate action. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good idea. We probably, there's probably some good people we could talk to on that. Yeah. Hey, I think we found one. Oh, wow. <laughs> Shall I introduce him? Yeah, let's do that. 
<laughs> All right. We have with us today Panama Bartholomew, who is a commissioner with the Climate Action Commission here in the city of Petaluma. Good morning. Morning. Happy Friday. Thanks for being here. It is truly yes. an honor. And um, in addition to Mayor Barrett on CNBC, I saw Councilmember Fisher on CNN talking about the same topic. And I wow. think uh, Brian Barnacle was on Channel 5. Um, That's great. Speaking also. So. Isn't it great to have a, a panel of leaders uh, at the helm? Yeah, being recognized yeah. nationally. Well, yep. it's not, and it's not the first time. I mean, Petaluma won a landmark uh, Supreme Court case in order to be able to control growth uh, by having a, a an urban growth boundary. That was a landmark case uh, mm -hmm. that Petaluma won. Uh, so this isn't the first time we've been on the map for good environmental policy. That's a good thing. Yeah. So, uh, Panama, you wanna you wanna talk a little bit about how you came to being so active here in Petaluma? Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to. Um, uh, relatively new myself to Petaluma, um, lived here about three years, um, moved here the week before the 2017 fires hit. Um, but my wife is a fifth generation Petaluman. Um, she has a descendant from the uh, Donner Party um, and they wow. lived here for, for a long time. I sleep with one eye open. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Um, I like <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think it's always very important, you know, if you have the if you have the time and the opportunity to take part in improving your community, you should and um, try to instill that in my kids and try to model that. And so when the opportunity came up, when the city council created the Climate Action Commission um, with my background in this area, I wanted to volunteer my time and services to the city. Um, and it's it's a pretty impressive effort by the city. And this was July 2019, where the city council voted unanimously to make climate change the number one policy driver um, for the city um, over all topics. And they made an emergency declaration. And in that declaration created this seven person um, climate action commission to basically advise them on climate change and to develop a plan for how do we make it a priority um, within our community? So I, uh, I was one of many that volunteered and I was blessed to get selected. And we've just finished our first year um, of activity on the commission. Great. A, a lot of work in one year, putting that mm -hmm. document together with little city resources. And so I think it's just really impressive how this committee came together and just the expertise within the committee. Um, and I thank you for that. Yeah, what, what Janice is talking about is we um we produced a document that's called our uh, climate climate emergency framework for the city, and we basically covered, you know, where is the city at right now on emissions and you know, greenhouse gas and climate pollution coming from the city, transportation, our buildings, and other sources, um, and then what should the city be doing um, on this topic? And so we had a town hall forum in the age of coronavirus. It was, of course, distant. Um, a lot of input, a city survey that fed into what the city should be doing and how they should be approaching climate change. And we published that and it was approved by the council, the new council in January. Um, that's really gonna guide um, city policy on how we address climate change. What are some of the big actions that you've recommended the city take? Well, when you look at it, um, and this isn't unique to Petaluma, but a lot of California cities, particularly around the Bay Area, 95% of our pollution that causes climate change comes from transportation and buildings. Yep. 
Um, and it's about 60% transportation, about 30% buildings. And so it's pretty straightforward with what we need to do. You know, we need to be reducing emissions from the transportation sector by mm -hmm. building in such a way that we don't have to get into a car every time um, we right. want to go somewhere. Um, and there's a movement globally towards what's called 15-minute cities, where you could potentially, within a 15-minute walk or bike ride, get most everything done that you need to get done. Yeah. And our general plan update that's happening over the next two years is a wonderful opportunity to redo the way that we we build in Petaluma. Um, and then two, if you do have to drive, um, how do we get um, more and more efficient or eventually electric vehicles into the hands mm -hmm. of more and more people? And how can the city actually encourage that and make that more affordable? So that's on the transportation side, in addition to um, really figuring out how do you do public transit in a city the size of Petaluma that actually works and will be used and useful for people. Mm -hmm. um, and it's probably not the model that has been historically used in Petaluma or other cities. Um, it's probably a much more distributed model of public transportation. So I think that's the coronavirus is forcing a lot of changes in our society. And I think how we approach public transit is going to be one of them that's going to have to be rethought. And then on the building side, you know, we have the benefit of having local clean power here yes. in Sonoma County with Sonoma Clean Power. And so they already provide, um, just as a base case, um, nearly completely clean electricity mm -hmm. to our buildings. And so what we need to do now is figure out how to make sure that all of our buildings are running 100% off of that clean power. And so right. it really comes down to um, getting gas appliances out of buildings, yeah, switching yeah. them over to highly efficient electric. Um, so we can be using Sonoma Clean Power for all of our buildings. So it's pretty straightforward what we need to do um, from a conceptual point of view. Um, the barriers are how do you lower the cost and yeah. how do you um, really make this accessible uh, to people and educated about this? Because mm -hmm. there aren't a lot of things that the cities are going to force people to do. It's going right, to be a right. lot of education and making it easier for people to do this. So maybe some sort of incentive or um, ultimately disincentives, I would imagine, and and probably depending, I mean, if there's uh, codes that need to be changed for developers that are making new houses, I imagine you probably want to not allow gas appliances in new buildings. So it sounds like it's a combination of things, some new rules, some code changes, and then I guess some volunteerism. But for example, I've got a I've got a gas range. Um, on average, what what do you think I'd be looking at the costs of changing that over to uh, to an electric range? Yeah, so you know most of us have a thirty to thirty three inch um, range, um, and you can be getting a high quality Consumer Reports best of um, induction magnetic induction range for anywhere from um, eight hundred dollars to fifteen hundred dollars from all of your normal um, uh, manufacturers and Whirlpool, Samsung, um, Viking um, and the likes, you'll be able to get it. And so at the $800 level, you're comparable to almost a bottom of the market gas range. Mm -hmm. um, and at the $1,500 level, you're getting a really high quality Consumer Reports recommended range um, about, about uh, half the price of a comparable Consumer Reports recommended gas range. Um, yeah. But the beauty of the magnetic induction 
is how powerful they are. You know, the reason why people generally like gas ranges mm-hmm. is they think that it's more powerful. You know, you can heat something up really quick um, and it's more controlled. You know, yeah. we have this image of electric cooking of these old coils. Right. And it takes forever for them to heat up and forever for them to get down. Yeah. Magnetic induction cooking is amazing. What it does is it's three times more powerful than a gas stove. Mm-hmm. So it'll heat up something three times quicker and it's twice as responsive as gas. And so the thing with gas is you, a lot of times you have those, those uh, metal grills that yes. the pans are sitting on yeah. and those retain heat. And with magnetic induction, it's just simply glass and it's incredibly hot and cools down immediately. And so chefs really like induction because of the control that they're able to bring to it. One of the things that really are bringing about a lot of people making the switch out of gas stoves, though, is the pollution inside people's homes. And Lawrence Berkeley National Lab in 2014 did some research about the um, emissions that come out of using a gas stove in the home, particularly nitrogen oxides, um, which are one of the precursors to smog and one of the most dangerous respiratory um, um, one of the, uh, pollutants. And what the study found is they looked at 60,000 homes in Southern California, and they found that half of those homes were having nitrogen oxide levels that exceeded legal outdoor limits um, for air pollution. And so the study author said, basically, if we were seeing these kind of numbers outside, there'd be regulatory fines against the sources of this pollution, but we're finding it in people's homes and kitchens. So there's nothing that we can do about it. And so from that, they thought around 12 million Californians are regularly exposing themselves to illegal levels of pollutants just from cooking with a gas stove. Um, This is a byproduct of using it when you're cooking or is it when it's leaking or what, how, how are we getting? No, just, just from cooking. And so the, when, when you, when you burn natural gas, you produce carbon monoxide, nitrogen oxides and formaldehyde. Mm -hmm. And if you are not using your vent um, over your stove, um, you, and if you, and depends on how, how much of an open air kitchen you have, you're potentially exposing yourself and your family to what would be considered illegal levels of those pollutants. Interesting. I wonder what the gas fireplaces are doing to us. Well, and what about wood fireplaces? Actually, it's probably even worse. Well, builders here in Petaluma aren't allowed to to install I don't think so wood burning anymore, fireplaces no. anymore. No. So so all these builders, if you go and look at all these new homes that are being built, they've got gas fireplaces in them, including mine. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which is which is better than wood, but still not as good it's as not ideal. Yeah, electric. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking I'd want to be electric ones, um, mm-hmm. fireplaces. And they're just not really efficient at this point. And so it's more for just ambiance than yeah. You know, it works great. Um, electric heater and a big video display of a fireplace. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> or, and if you get bored of that, you can switch to a fish tank or watch TV. You know. Go ahead. I just, I want to talk about Sonoma Clean Power real quick. Do they have an energy, uh, do they have a storefront yet? Because I know they've talked about having a storefront and then we can go in and see these different products. Yeah. So Sonoma Clean Power got a very large grant from the State Energy Commission to open up a, basically a customer storefront where they would be able to show you really highly efficient electric technologies, different induction stoves, um, water heaters, um, furnace replacements, um, and all sorts of other cool gadgets, great thermostats, electric vehicle charging equipment, et cetera. So 
they are opening it, um, I believe this month in Santa Rosa. Um, they're uh, announcing it. I believe it's actually going to be today, Friday, um, when the announcement goes out. So great, great timing, Janice. Um, and what's also great is they're also going to be announcing a new financing program through Sonoma Clean Power. It's going to be a zero interest loans to make home upgrades, um, energy efficiency upgrades to your home. Mm -hmm. So replace your water heater, replace your furnace, replace your lights, and you can get a zero interest loan from Sonoma Clean Power to make that change. Well, that's good because originally they would go ahead and charge 7% and you they would take it off your on they would add it to your property tax and it was or and um it, that's how it would be paid back and it was 7% interest because this year we just uh, put solar on the house and so I'm not quite ready to give up my gas stovetop but I am ready to give up my um heater and so I we're actually in the learning mode to figure out what the best um um, you know, heating system is. And I really like the, um, just the, the beautiful heat of the like baseboard heatings, mm. you know, versus, you know, forced air, it's so much cleaner. And we have these silly two heaters in our house and we hardly use the furnace anymore. It's just mm. two heaters and it keeps the house, you know, really tempered. And, you know, our, obviously our bill is very cheap because we have the solar now, but now we have to look into the electric hot water heater. Yep. And, you know, recently, unfortunately, we just changed a few of those things over. So I think the heater is probably our best bet at this point. With yeah. 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 There's a great new resource um, for really learning about this for consumers. It's called um, switchison.org. And it's a resource that basically tells you, you know, why, you should be converting your home to all electric, you know, all the benefits of it. And then it provides two key things. It provides information about all of the rebate programs that are available to you based on your, uh, based on your zip code. And then contractors who are trained and will actually help you make these changes rather than talk you out of it. Um, so it's a fantastic resource that's now a statewide website um, helping people make the switch. So that switch... Switchesonsonorg switches Yep. Okay, I will look at it today after the show. Thank you. We're talking with Panama Bartholomew, who is commissioner with the Climate Action Commission here in the city of Petaluma. So the, some of these changes that you were talking about here, do you know, Panama, is there going to be any rebate programs so that people like seniors like me who are on fixed income can make these changes without it impacting their, their budgets. Absolutely. Um, so there are some available now. And if you go to switcheson.org, you can see those for your house. Um, and then there are more coming. Um, this summer, there's going to be a new program for water heaters that's going to roll out that is basically going to make the switch to a highly efficient electric water heater nearly free um, for a limited amount of time across California. Um, and then there's going to be some programs rolling out for space space heating as well in the summer. And so the best way to track that is switcheson.org. And it can give you, it'll keep up with all the different rebates you put in your zip code. It'll tell you everything in one place that you know, it's available to you. Um, on vehicles, you know, there is both a federal tax credit um, that's up to $7,500 for the purchase or a lease of an electric vehicle. Um, and then there is a state credit 
of $1,500 here in California. And so, uh, you know, nearly $10,000 off of the purchase price for an electric vehicle. Um, and this year is going to see about 60 new electric vehicle models um, roll out um, from manufacturers across the United States. So the diversity of electric vehicles that are coming is, is really incredible. Um, and who knows what the Biden administration has planned in, oh, yeah. their, in their next stimulus um, and whether there'll be more Biden bucks um, coming down to be helping with some of this. <laughs> but um, I know they're very focused on electric vehicles. So I would imagine they're at least going to reauthorize the $7,500, if not try to do something more. Well, and there's a goal, of course, to push through a huge infrastructure uh, bill, which would very much uh, <laughs> be related to this. I, I'm looking at this site. This is very helpful. All of these different options, looking at barbecues, even you can get a electric barbecue uh, that uh, apparently works quite well. So there's really no reason it seems to have gas anymore. Yep. And I, one of the interesting things there is one of the main organizations that say that is Pacific Gas and Electric. Yeah. PG&E is the fourth largest distributor of natural gas in America. And what they're doing is they're going around to cities and they're saying, please, please do not build any new buildings with gas. Well, it's a huge liability for them. Yeah. Uh, was it San Bruno? Was that? With, yep. uh, San Bruno. Uh, absolutely horrible. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I would imagine in the long run, it's more expensive uh, for them to maintain. And, and then, of course, if they, they blow it, then there's huge fines. What other kind of steps do you think are likely to happen locally uh, from the city side uh, in terms of obviously there is trying to get people to do things, but what, what will the city be doing that they have more direct control over? Yeah, the, the city is looking at their own operations. You know, it's a very small percentage of our community's overall emissions, but, um, you know, it's always a little bit easier to suggest other people do some things when you've got your own house in order right. back to City Hall. And so um, they are looking at their fleet. They are looking at their purchasing, um, their purchasing practices. Um, last week, they switched all city accounts. They approved a motion to switch all city accounts over to the 100% renewables option coming from Sonoma Clean Power. And they're doing an audit of all of their facilities to see mm -hmm. how they can be saving energy as well. So the city is doing that. But I think perhaps the most impactful thing is going to be the general plan update. And for those of you not familiar with the general plan out there, the general plan basically dictates what the next 25 years of growth is going to be like in Petaluma. Where are we going to put housing? Where are we going to put economic development? How are people going to get around within the community uh, to make this happen? What kind of um, environmental policies are we going to put in there? How are we going to protect the river and enhance the wetlands, et cetera? A lot of different pieces in there. And it's been about, correct me if I'm wrong here, Jan, it's about 11 or 15 years since we've updated the last general plan. Correct. And this new general plan is going to be developed under a principle of completely eliminating emissions from Petaluma by 2030. And so it's, I'm, I'm, you know, we talked, we started our conversation today talking about leadership of Petaluma being recognized on the national level. And I'm thinking this general plan update is going to be one of the first done in California that has such a strict greenhouse gas overlay on it. Mm -hmm. And so that general plan is, I think, going to be one of the most impactful things that the city does um, over the coming years, really setting out a vision for how do we have 
um, a more, more compact community that works better with higher quality of life. It's easier to get around. There's more services and resources for people. Um, and we do it in a way that's actually um, helping the climate rather than hurting it. Panama, with um, the fact that the Gallagher's you know, sued Windsor, um, it seems to me that we need to have um, policies in place that all cities buy into the same. So we can go ahead and fight them as a whole instead of one city at a time. Um, do you know if anybody's looking into that or? Yeah, so what Janice is referring to is um, the city of Windsor tried to adopt a policy that says all future construction of homes in Windsor will be all electric. And um, Gallagher Homes um, sued um, the city and the city of Windsor, you know, very small, just did not have the money to fight that lawsuit. And so they were basically bullied um, into dropping a new law that they were using to protect their residents and to help fight climate change. Um, and so Janice, there is efforts at the state level to try to adopt some common language that local governments could voluntarily adopt that would already be approved by the state, would have already gone through environmental review and gone through all the checks you need to check on. And it would be very simple process for a city to then say, okay, we're adopting a state language, all future construction will be all electric here. So there are efforts because ultimately, you know, we don't want the Windsors of the worlds to have to bear the brunt and to walk the plank locally and have to be able to have to have fight these lawsuits. We want them to have protection to be able to work on climate action. Well, that's exactly it. It's the protection. And I agree. If it starts at the state level, it's going to be a lot harder for people like the Gallagher's to um, sue each city. And it, it just doesn't seem, would you still have to have local policies or would you follow just state policy then? So the, yeah, the, the, the city, um, the state updates its basic state building code every three years. And it's so the next one will be updated in 2022. Um, and it's looking like it's going to be a huge step forward on all electric buildings, but it's not going to go all the way. Basically what it's going to do is it's going to make it very easy to build all electric and, and a lot harder to build with gas. And so you're going to want, you're going to have to really want to build with gas yeah. if you build with gas under the new code. And then in 2025, it'll be all electric statewide. I think what scares people with this is you own a home and you have your gas stove and people don't want you to go into their home and tell you what you can do. But it seems like this is more of an incentive to make the changes, just, you know, even with Sonoma Clean Power. Um, but are there going to be incentives, do you know, for putting solar on your house so you can go in this direction also? So it's cheaper on the long run. Yeah, you know, we we basically run the course on incentives for solar in California. We invested over $3 billion um, of ratepayer funds into the California Solar Initiative. And thanks to that program and the efforts of Germany and Japan and Chinese manufacturing, we've been able to bring the price of solar panels down 99%. And so right now we have about a six six to nine year payback on solar panels um, installation in California. So I don't expect that, this, that they um, will be seeing any more incentives for kind of um, moderate to high income individuals or households. There are still um, just about one and a half billion dollars of incentives for low income housing to put up um, solar panels. So that's probably, if you see any incentives for solar, it'll be going for that. Unless there there's are, a, 
Sorry, unless there's a big change it, it, that we were talking about with a major infrastructure green deal kind of at the federal level. At the federal level, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I don't think we can afford anymore this idea that people just get to make individual choices about whether they want to go green or not. I I don't think we have that luxury of time anymore. And I think that's what's so important about the city giving clarity to citizens yeah. and businesses here. Yeah. They adopted a saying by 2030, we want to be at, we want to be carbon neutral, yeah. meaning not emitting as much carbon as we're right. sequestering. And so what that does is it presents a really clear message to everybody that wants yeah. to do business in Petaluma or with Petaluma about where it's going. The state of California um, has not been as clear as Petaluma's leadership has been. And right. unfortunately, what that does is it leads a lot of uncertainty and it leads a lot of opportunity for naysayers to continue to fight. Well, the fracking. I mean, Correct. even our governor still hedges on fracking, like whether he's for exactly. it or against it. And there's a lot of politics here. But I think, you know, there is one big thing, and it's just a matter of if it can take hold enough information. I mean, just the conversation that we've had where you talked about, you know, the, the advantages of, of taking out your gas range. I bet a lot of people don't know that and probably people like the, I don't, I don't know what's going on in the heads of the Gallagher's, but what I, what I would guess, and this is just a guess is that their customers want them. They want to have the freedom to have these gas ranges. Well, why do they want that? Cause they think it's better. And it seems like the Gallagher's, if this is the point, the Gallagher Gallagher's are just taking a simple approach where they don't, want to bother trying to educate the customer. Um, so maybe through more public service efforts, maybe this can change. I mean, you flipped me. I, I want to get out, get my gas range out yeah. ASAP. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> and it's not that expensive to do. Anyway, I just feel like we we don't have a lot of time. We we can't just go to neutrality. We have to be actively sequestering carbon. I mean, just going neutral is not enough. Yeah. So Teresa Barrett, our mayor, is on the Bay Area Air Quality Management District. They have announced that they're going to look at new regulations across the Bay Area on water heaters and on furnaces. Mm -hmm. It would basically set allowable emission levels at near zero. And so the interesting thing here is in California, we've done a really great job about reducing pollution from power plants and reducing pollution from cars. We have not done a good job about reducing pollution from buildings. Right. And so right now, burning gas in buildings is producing more smog than our cars across California. Really? Seven times more smog than all of our power plants across wow. California, just from burning gas in our buildings. And so the efforts by Mayor Barrett on the Bay Area Air Quality Management District and her colleagues to try to start to put air quality regulations on this are going to go a long way towards what you're saying, Jason, which is let's set a date in the Bay Area where we're no longer going to be selling gas appliances. Mm-hmm. And the incentives should be leading us towards that date like they did with solar. Right. You know, we set a date as 2019, we're going to require right. solar on all new homes. And that $3 billion of investment basically created the market to allow that mandate to take place. And so that's what Mayor Barrett's trying to do in the Bay Area Air Quality Management District. So current general plan expires 2025 or sooner? Does anybody know the current general plan? Not off the top of my head. 2025? I thought it was 2025. That's what I think it is. But the reason I bring that up is we obviously want to move because we're talking about this as a climate emergency. We want to move quickly. Can we have a new general plan take effect 
before the other one expires? Can, can the council decide to do that? That is the plan. They, oh, they, good. Okay. They, they put forward a two-year process, basically. So the okay. council would, if all goes as planned, um, and after the year we just had, you know, we, can we ever say that again? Yeah. Um, yeah. That at the end of 2022, they would be adopting their new general plan. Um, and so what the Climate Action Commission did is they said, you know, let's not wait, though, for 2022. You know, there are things that we need to be doing right now. And so mm-hmm. what the Climate Action Commission did is they recommended 16 really no regrets things that the city council should be immediately trying to adopt. Um, so one of them was no more new gas stations. Bill, yeah. we already have 16 Thank gas you. stations. Um, we are within five minutes of a gas station from anywhere in Petaluma driving at 25 miles per hour. What is this going to do to the Safeway gas station plan? Um, well, Safeway was one of the main um, commenters on this item at, uh, at the city council. They're not, uh, they're not happy about this. Um, and so this is going to put um, pretty significant barriers um, in place for them to be able to build that out. Good. There should be barriers. Why do you say that for them to build it out because of the, for them to build the Safeway gas station or new gas stations? New gas Other, stations. But not particularly that one. Yes. Yeah. And unfortunately. It out. Oh, so that I, one's I, off. They're off the hook. The, I read all the information. So Safeway gas station is off the hook. They're not subject to any, any new uh, moratoriums or anything. We have to just let it happen. I think there are still ways that the, you know, the cities in California have um, an amazing amount of control over, over land use. And um, so I think there are efforts underway to still try to find a way to avoid building that huge gas station right next to a school. Yeah. Dumb idea. And it doesn't make any sense either, because the thing is, um, <laughs> it's only a matter of a couple of years, you know, and <laughs> the demand for that stuff is going to go away as, as fewer people uh, buy gas cars. I mean, as soon as these EVs start coming out at low price points, uh, I mean, it's going to make no sense to keep having a gas car. I mean, it's they're more expensive to maintain. You spend more on gas and it's not good for the planet. So. Novato just approved a big gas station for the Costco down there. Wow. Oh, Idiots. Boy. Yeah, I just oh. heard that. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, here we're going in one direction. And yet, you know, those are big gas stations at Costco. So Yeah. I'm just hoping that the uh, electric vehicles are going to be uh, constructed here in the United States. I not one for driving foreign cars. Well, uh, VWs are actually the new VWs are coming out of um, uh, Tennessee. Was it uh, trying to remember the um, the city? Uh, but they have a plant well, they over there. Construct cars, but they can't seem to get water for people. Isn't that Tennessee? Yeah. They've been without water for what two weeks? Oh, going uh, I, mean, I don't know, but it but there's a VW plant there, so those okay. those will be made in the U.S. Yep. Yeah. The, the, assembled yeah. or made? Made. Manufactured. Absolutely. So all the parts will, will be made here in the U.S.? Uh, that, are they coming well, from Germany? I mean, the reality is for a lot of the electronic components for all of these products worldwide aren't coming from Europe either. They're coming from China. Yeah. Places like that. But that's and Mexico. That's, but that's same with any American quote, American built car. 
I mean, that's, you know, that the components aren't all manufacturing here. We right. haven't been making chips for a long time. Yeah. Uh, my, but, my point being is that why, why can't we start making that stuff here? What, what all of the, all of the components, the electrical components and the why steel and all that? Well, we could, but it would, it would, it would create jobs and it would make things exceedingly expensive also for people. That's, that's the tough thing. That's, that's the reality. Yeah. yeah, I know President Biden last week did put out an executive order looking at supply chains of critical items like yeah. like microchips yeah. um, and um, storage and electric storage um, equipment because um, we have unfortunately, uh, to Cindy's point, um, let other countries really take in the market on yeah. some mm-hmm. critical critical items of both the present and the future, um, the supply chains out of America. And so he is doing a big analysis right now. How do we start to bring some of that manufacturing capacity back to the United States? That's but, great. But General Motors commitment to be completely all electric by 2035, yeah. um, Ford, mm-hmm. um, others. I mean, it's um, it seems like the car companies are finally, finally getting it. Yeah, yeah they are. It's taken them long enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about these electric bikes? I'm looking on this. Um, I should be right now. And I'm looking at these electric bikes, and what do you know about them? They're they're amazing. Um, I, I lived over in the Netherlands for uh, for four years, um, and they have an incredible bike network. There, um, about That's half amazing. of all bike sales now are electric bikes yeah. because people are using them to commute. Yeah, you know, it, it it makes that two to three mile uh, bike ride that you'd want to do on a daily basis just incredibly easy yep. um, to do. Some of them can go up to twenty five miles an hour, um, so definitely got to wear a helmet on these things. Yeah. But um, they're fantastic, and the key is now can Petaluma make it safe to bike? Yeah, like that's the key. Yeah, it, I, I there's think no that chicken and egg here. It's very much a chicken, you know, situation. Yeah. Transportation and, and connecting trails is important. Yeah. And that's why through the general plan committee, this is what I'm looking forward to because there are a lot of connections that the city has not followed through with. Mm. And so that's the that's the exciting part of this. And you know, the slow streets, I had a slow time getting used to this. Um, but you know, I like them. And you know, I'm starting to um, you know, just even the road diet in downtown that's gonna happen, it's gonna be safer. Yep. for bicyclists um, to move. So, so these it's, electric bikes are really interesting. Oh, the, if you haven't ridden one, they're an yeah. absolute blast. I mean, it's it it feels like cheating a little bit, but what you do is you you're just able to get a lot further, a lot faster. Right. So you and you still have to pedal, so you still get some exercise, you still get a workout, but you just get a lot further. I, I rented one in Berlin. And I was able to go all over the, the city um, so easily. Uh, and I'm passing other bikes. I felt a little guilty. Uh, but uh, no, they're a blast. And I lived in Holland for two years. And man, you, you hit the nail on the head there. The infrastructure is absolutely incredible. Uh, but they, they also have one nice advantage, and that's that it's all flat. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Well, with an electric bike, you know. You can go without. Uh, yes, that's true. Even yeah. hills, it, hills. Pedal assist is great. Um, yeah, I've been there. There's a guy actually that uh, converts bikes at, the, at my in the office complex that I, my business is at, and he's uh, he's actually made a business of that. He, if you bring a bike to him, he'll uh, he'll give you a couple options to convert it to electric. That's great. 
Oh, it's great. I might have to consider that. Well, the thing about it, I need the exercise. It's, but you do exercise. That's the thing people don't understand. You, you can't really, there's a whole different category and license aspect to having an electric bike versus a pedal assist bike. So all the ones that we're kind of talking about, these are ones anyone can buy. There's no special licensing. There's not regulations about them not being able to be in bike lanes and things like that. It's, it's really a pedal assist bike, but you do still have to pedal, but it's assisting you. So, so the pedal, you still get exercise, you're still pedaling, but you don't have to work as hard. And so what's the beauty of this to me is it all of a sudden makes bicycling so much more accessible and attractive to so many more people even myself included, I live on the top of B Street. I should be riding my bike all the time, and I'll admit that I don't. I should ride it more often, and part of it is that hill is really <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a steep hill, and I'm at the very top, you know. Um, but with a with one of these e-bikes, I mean, simple. And it sounds like e-bikes are coming to Petaluma. It sounds like Petaluma is considering a rental e-bike program. Yeah, which would be great. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So if somebody wants to rent that, I mean, how would something like that look? So the city buys X amount of them. Are they just for um, tourists or it's someone like I could just rent one for a week to see if it's something I'd be interested in purchasing? Well, I really like the pedal assist. No, but is the question is the is the city actually plan thinking about doing that or allowing a company to come in and do it? I mean, there's companies like Uber and Jump and all these. And there's been controversy with some of these companies because the bikes just get left around. Um, They take up space on the sidewalk. I know in San Francisco, they're now charging some of these companies for their infrastructure use because, you know, it was one of these things where the technology advances ahead of legislation. Um, so I don't know what's, what's the city considering on that front? Is it more a matter of opening it up for a third party or the city actually want to own that? Yeah. The conversations I've heard is it's more the latter, where it's yeah. looking at, um, uh, sorry, the former in this case is looking at bringing in a city, bringing in a company right. to, to look at doing this. And um, I think your points are well taken, Jason. You know, it's one thing in a major metropolitan area yep. where you can drop it off at a whole bunch of different sites, yep. and you can have charging sites, yep. et cetera, all over the place. But what yep. does that look like for a city, you know, 60 to 70,000? Um, how do you do it differently? How many drop-off sites do you have? How will right. those get charged, et cetera? So I'm excited the city's considering it, and I'm really curious to see how they're going to set it up. Well, the good news is we have the advantage of entering late, and we can look at what has worked and hasn't worked in other municipalities. And you you hit you made a good point. Uh, you know, in a rural, in an area where there's a lot of rural areas, it's tr- tricky. You could rent it and leave it somewhere that's really not convenient for anyone else to want to rent it. And so that kind of hits the economic model negatively for any business wanting to do it. So then there'd be zones. Like when I was in Berlin, I went too far at one point and then I realized, oh, I can't leave the bike here. I'm at the, I'm outside of the zone. So, and I ran out of battery. <laughs> so I had to kind you had of to you know, actually pedal. I had to, well, no, they don't really work well when they're, when the battery's off it, uh, this particular model okay. I was on, you can't really just run it if the battery's gotcha. not working. Um, some you can, it depends on the bike. Uh, but anyway, that's that. So there's a lot of issues to look at in making it um, uh, pencil out for people, obviously, but that's exciting. I think that's exciting that um, we have a climate change committee and that we're going in this direction. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you've had so much, you've done so much of the footwork going into the general plan. It's oh. it's going to be a real pleasure working with you. You know, with yeah. your knowledge. I don't think I don't think we've mentioned to the listeners that Janice, that both you and Panama are on the general plan committee. We are. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. exciting. Appointed uh, twenty one. 21 citizens to help advise the consultants and city staff and the city council about how we should be updating the general plan. And um, Janice, of course, through her community leadership was immediately recognized as somebody that needed to be on it. Um, and we have just an incredible group of people on there um, and me um, on the uh, on the group. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, well, it's good looking. to have you on both of those because um, yep. they're so integrally connected, obviously. Yeah. For the first time in years, I'm actually very excited about our city government. Well, we've got good leadership. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been a while. Yes. Yes. And I mean, this is the, the most frustrating thing to me is that there have been leaders in this community for a long time uh, mm-hmm. pushing the issue of climate change. And and a lot of people in the community have been very resistant to that. A lot of uh, previous leaders that we've had on the council have been resistant to that. Uh, we've had people who still opine uh, in Argus, uh, Argus Courier, um, who now are on board with, with climate change mitigation, which is great. But where were they when it really mattered? I mean, wh- and, and that's, I, I'm, I'm happy to have people on board you know, and, and acknowledge the fight now, that's great. But there's also consequences, I think, for being wrong <laughs> and, and helping to put us where we are because a lot of development practices in Petaluma have actually made your job uh, now much harder, you know, through some of the rampant approvals of, of really irresponsible projects. Correct, mm-hmm. yeah, and not, and not really thinking through the combined impact of all of them. Yeah, it's one thing to do a bad development where you haven't thought about how does it interconnect with the transportation system. But when you have repeated bad projects like that, you force yourself into a situation where you have to get into your car in order to do anything um, where you live. Deer Uh, Creek is a perfect example. I mean, that was something, you know, many of us, myself, who was running for council at the time, I know Janice. Uh, Cater Thompson, I know David Glass, uh, you know, Teresa Barrett, of course, uh, many of the progressive leaders in our community uh, did not favor how this project ended up developing. And we had all of the insights. We said, you know what? <laughs> buying patterns are different in retail. More people are buying online. Um, we've got all of these empty storefronts already. Uh, what's going to happen? This doesn't make sense. Maybe we should have a skilled nursing center, alternative C in the environmental review. You bring up, Jason, one of the things that I'm most excited to talk about in the context of the general plan over the next two years, which is what does economic development look like right. in the 21st century? What yeah. does economic development look like post-COVID? Um, and how does that change? You know, we've really developed this community into being very heavily a bedroom community focused and with a heavy commute, particularly in East Petaluma. Right. Um, and so... If we're going to be reducing our emissions, a big part of that is how do we how do we bring people um, closer into Petaluma, allow right. them to work closer into Petaluma. Right now, yeah. you think of that commute, and that's an incredible amount of literal energy, yep. gasoline, yep. taking people out of our community, um, taking money out of our community, but also just energy away from families. Yeah. You know, that commute time is time that could be spent volunteering in the community, spending time with their kids, right. their spouse. 
And so how do we bring more and more of them over time back in here through really high quality economic development? And then how do we fix the outdated models of development that we've had, like right. village right. or, or how do we re and repurposing these structures yeah. for, for uses that make sense. Um, the sad part about that is there was, you know, a group of us, I mean, I know I personally sued yeah. Deer Creek and it wasn't to stop the project. It was to really point out that this is a bad model yeah. and we already know Amazon's coming in and they yeah. have been 50% reduced, um, you know, in um, storefronts and they've mm -hmm. actually haven't built some of the buildings and they transferred over and the council's allowing housing there where it could have really been a real interconnective um, development with the neighboring neighbors. Right. And, and so, but what I see is that a lot more people are walking because of Deer Creek, because of those bridges mm -hmm. and the creek was saved. And so a lot of people go down there more than I've ever seen, you know, for the years that I've been watching. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that's really positive. And so that's what, with the general plan process, it is really repurposing um, existing shopping centers that aren't even 10 years old. Yeah. That's what's so amazing. Yeah. And so I think there's just a lot of opportunity here for, those kind of discussions and, and going back to um, we don't know what it's going to be after COVID, but we knew when Deer Creek was being built, yeah. Amazon was here. And so I think we have kind of a clue of what's going to happen with COVID. And I'm hoping it's less commuting, 50% working at home yeah. and more good jobs in Petaluma. Well, there's large companies already that are saying it's not going to go back to business as, as usual. They they are now realizing that working um, without commuting makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's a cost savings to them as well. Uh, and so you have, you know, there's there's actually companies closing offices down. Uh, yeah. I was talking to a developer and about what do you do with these buildings that are um, for businesses? Right. You know, um, office space. Yep. And it's not easy to switch those into no, housing. Not at all. Not at all because they don't have the infrastructure set up. That's what and, and there's inside spaces and without mm. windows. And so it was it was it was a good conversation I had. And I always like to talk to developers, especially at COVID time and what's no. going on with their businesses. And it was interesting who wasn't paying rent, who was paying rent. Um, but uh, the big thing is, is you really can't convert those buildings. Not easily, no. Into housing, not easily. Yeah. So. Well, somebody will come up with an idea. There'll be an idea. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, well, uh, go ahead, Jason. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, it, we just have to be planning smarter and, and realize that things are shifting, uh, that, you know, buying patterns change. People are you know, that didn't shop online are now much more comfortable shopping online post COVID. And we have to expect that that'll continue. Uh, and so we just need to be planning intelligently uh, for the future and get out of the old seventies strip mall mentality <laughs> and that suburban mentality. With Deer Creek and with um, the target center. Yeah. Those yeah. are basically strip malls. I mean, yeah. target is, looks like a strip mall. Deer mm -hmm. Creek looks like a cute strip mall. But they're both strip malls. Well, it's more tasteful. But the bottom line is yeah. they both have a lot of uh, vacancies. 
Well, and they completely screwed up the transportation <laughs> grid within those shopping yeah. centers yeah. because it's not easy to drive in them, but it's not easy to ride a bike in them also. And that yeah. is another disappointing part yeah. is just, you know, when you look at, I personally like grid streets, they're safer. I don't like curves in roads and there's all these curves at Deer Creek and, and, and same with the target site. I mean, it's just yeah. not safe. Yeah. yeah. If you look at if you look at Target on the busiest shopping days, so right around Christmas, you know, Black Friday, um, even on those dates, you do not have a full parking lot. You know, they have completely overbuilt the parking there. Even when they put in all the Tesla chargers and took out all yeah. those sites, they've completely overbuilt it. And so the opportunity to redevelop some of that. Um, into hopefully into some housing, into some much needed housing um, right next to transit lines, right next to the highway, bring shoppers right there um, on site. I think it's a fantastic opportunity to relook at some of our overbuilt parking in Petaluma. Absolutely. And plus you have the bridge, you know, to go across the freeway for people Yep. at that particular site. We could probably make three or four more shows out of this. Topic. <laughs> and we'll have to do that because time is up. And I want to thank uh, Panama Bartholomew for being on the show with us here today. Uh, do come back and entertain us with more of your knowledge. You have a, a very good mind where it goes with climate control or climate control. Well, it is kind of climate action. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you again for being here. Do come back. Thank you. It was an honor to be here. All right. You've Thank been you. listening to Inside Petaluma. I'm Cindy Thomas here with Jason Davies and Janice Keeter Thompson. And we're going to wrap it up for another week, but we will be back next Friday from 11 to noon. Uh, please visit our website at insidepetaluma.com. And you can uh, listen to any past show there. And uh, you can also listen via podcast. Subscribe. Yeah, the podcast. Exactly. Anyway, you go to the website and you can learn all kinds of ways to listen to us. So, um, again, thank you, Panama, and everybody have a great weekend. Be safe. See you next week. The views and opinions expressed here on Insight Petaluma are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policies or positions of Petaluma Community Access.